and welcome to Stern Chats. I'm Haley Wilcox. And I'm Yesra Dudic. Today we're talking to Nicolette Wong, a former writer and editor from the Singapore fashion and luxury space. She's transitioning careers into fintech post-MBA. And she will guide us through her move from Singapore to New York and her pivot from fashion to fintech and how she sees those worlds coming together for her and for the rest of the world. And don't worry, we have some great fashion tips for all you listeners out there. So with that, let's dive in. Let's do it. Nicolette, thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you very much for having me, both of you. Oh, thank you for being here. We're so excited. To start us off, let me just ask our first question. Who are you wearing today? Okay. (laughs) I'm wearing pants from Commando. They're very nice and stretchy. I like them very much. Um, This top is from Reformation. It's just like a long sleeve, something to be under the sweater. The sweater is from Lyrica Matoshi, who is like this small indie producer, like fashion designer in New York. And it's really nice because it's a sunny day on my sweater, even though it's not a sunny day outside. The coat is from Stan Studio, and I got it from Rent the Runway, which I've been trying to use more and like buy less clothes because it's better for the environment and for my wallet. Um, the scarf is from Urban Outfitters because it matches my sweater. Ugh. For our listeners who can't see Nicolette mm-hmm. right now, I will just say she's wearing my oh. favorite sweater full of clouds, and it always makes me remember a sunny day even when I'm depressed in the bottom of a of the stern basement. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's always a nice. It's nice to have a sunny day somewhere. <laughs> Especially on Nicolette. <laughs> I think that's well, where you. it fits the most. So to start us off, we'd love to know, Nicola, where did you grow up? Um, start with your background and dive more into your career later on. Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from Singapore, and I've lived there my entire life, except for six months in Paris. And then I moved here to New York for Stern in August of 2020, in the middle of our grand pandemic, which I highly do not recommend if you guys you know, ever have the option of when you want to move across the world. So I spent my entire childhood undergrad um, in Singapore, and then spent my entire career there as well as so I spent six years as a writer and editor in the luxury magazine industry. Um, so I spent those six years writing about like watches, jewelry, beauty, fashion, everything under the sun, and then decided that although it was my dream job when I was much younger, I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life because I wanted something that had not only more real world impact, but that would hopefully make the world like a better place in some way. And although like magazines are a lot of fun, It's not, like, I feel like it doesn't have that, like, world-improving quality necessarily, especially in a small market like Singapore. So that's why I came to Stern, wanted to build out my skill set and, you know, try something completely different. And I'm very happy to say that I will be moving to a completely different industry uh, post-Stern, so... I'm going to go to MasterCard, which is a company that I, I really love. Yeah, I'm excited to look at your past, look at your present, and think about your future. So what led to your decision to first enter the fashion magazine space, and what was your family's reaction when you started your career in that section or sector? Well, I had spent my entire teenage years reading a lot of magazines. And this was a time when like print magazines were still a thing. Like, they were actually still things that people read, and, like, I would pick up a huge stack of them every month. Not just ones from Singapore, but also ones that were based in the U.S., in the U.K. I used to, like, buy French Vogue, even though I couldn't read it. Now I can, but, uh, like, it was just so beautiful. I felt like they created, like, a completely different world. And my family is 
very sort of normal middle class family. My parents are like not at all into fashion or like luxury stuff. So it was to me a completely different world. And that's, I think, one of the things that made magazines so appealing for me. Mm. And it was just a completely different way of expressing yourself. And I found it so interesting that I thought, you know what, I want to do this for the rest of my life. At least 18-year-old me did, which is why I ended up doing a lot of internships at different magazines, all of which were unpaid. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to get my foot in the door because of those internships. And so one of my first jobs graduating from... Um, undergrad was at a magazine called Style. And then that's how things took off. But it took a while to get there. Not gonna lie. It, like I was sort of, I was job hunting for like eight months before I managed to get into the industry. Um, and this is even though I had like a pretty big portfolio of writing already, even when I was job hunting from, you know, all of my like internships. And so my parents were not entirely happy in the beginning that I was unemployed for so long. But I think that this, because this is what I wanted, I was like, I'm going to wait until I get this opportunity. And halfway, I was like, okay, maybe I should try and find something else. So I did like three months in advertising, realized it was not for me. But then I got my, you know, opportunity within like two or three months from then. And so that's how it all started. Wow. I really identified too with the piece of having something you were drawn to as a little kid and then really using it as a launching pad for where you wanted to put your purpose or your future growth and the idea of being a butterfly cocooning and then transforming with whatever you want to do at the end of your career too. And nobody knows what they want to do at 18, but being able to try and think about like fashion and expression is, is amazing. Would love to know a little bit more about your career in Singapore. What were your key life lessons and what led you to wanting to get an MBA after a successful six-year career in Singapore? I think my career in Singapore was really interesting because I originally started wanting to write for magazines because I love fashion and beauty specifically. But the first job that I got at Style Magazine at the time was to write for Watches and Jewelry, which is what I've spent my entire career writing about. It's my main beat. And that kind of put me in a different headspace in the beginning because it's something I didn't know anything about. I, could, I told my boss in the beginning, I know nothing about watches. I don't even know how a mechanical watch works. I thought they all run on batteries. They do not. What? Um, yeah, so it, it was something that I didn't initially want, but because I could write, they still hired me, thank goodness. Um, and I eventually took on like the other beats that I actually wanted to do. And then I feel like doing this beat gave me a very different career because it allowed me exposure to the hardest of the hard luxury brands. Mm. So I used to work with like Rolex, Patek Philippe, Audemars Piguet, Alain Gonzone, like all of these huge watch brands who have budgets like in the millions and millions of dollars. Frankly, Van Arpels, like I've seen jewelry and like um, diamonds that I don't even believe exists <laughs> that I will never be able to afford in my life. And so like this gave me exposure to an even more like different part of the industry. And then that kind of shaped how I thought about the luxury business as a whole, mm. because I realized like how huge the margins are or like how expensive some of these things are, but how few people buy them. Yeah. Mm. So the second magazine that I ended up working for was Singapore Tatler, which... Um, 
most people probably won't know, but I would describe it as like the Crazy Rich Asians magazine. Oh my gosh. If you if you guys read the trilogy, it's featured, I think, pretty heavily in the second and third book. I didn't, I didn't read it. I didn't either. Okay. That's good. <laughs> anyway, so it's the Crazy Rich Asians magazine. And when I was here, when I was there, I met the people who buy like these pieces. I met the people who, you know, collected these pieces. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized like, okay, this is a completely different world. Don't understand it. I'm paid peanuts. I will never be able to afford like these million dollar pieces of jewelry yeah. that I keep writing about. But these people do. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I wonder how. And then, you know, started to think about what are the careers lie outside of like the magazine world. And this whole time I'm also interviewing like executives in the watch and jewelry industry a lot. So I'm asking them like, why do you decide to create this product? Why in this market, etc.? And then I started to think more about, like, the business side of luxury. Mm. And that's when I thought, like, maybe I want to be on the business side of luxury as opposed to, like, just writing about the products. And that very long answer is what kind of made me think about going to business school in the first place. And I knew that technically if I wanted to, given my skill set, I could do, I could already work for a luxury brand Mm -hmm. um, in Singapore, probably in, like, marketing and PR, probably not really, like, strategy and working at HQ was probably going to be a little bit out of reach. Mm-hmm. But because I wanted like that deep exposure into the world of business, I thought like business school would be a good idea. And I thought like because I wanted something that had more meaning, that I would probably do something to do with sustainability or like social purpose. Mm. And maybe through the lens of luxury, maybe not. We'll see what, what yeah. business school brings. So my follow-up question to that, and I think you kind of pointed at it, what made you want to go into the full-year, two-year program instead of the specialized fashion and luxury MBA? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like people who want to do the fashion and luxury MBA tend to be people who either don't come from a fashion and luxury background and want to get into fashion and luxury or definitely know that their future career is going to be in fashion and luxury. But because I spent my entire career immersed in this industry, I didn't feel the need to get more knowledge about fashion and luxury, but rather to get knowledge about the other aspects of business. So I know nothing about strategy or supply chain or like finance. Still not sure about some of those things. But so I felt like because I needed the business aspect of things that and not the fashion and luxury part, that's why I decided to go for the two year. And also, like, I thought the two years would be a longer amount of time that gave me, like, the luxury of, like, really diving deeper into these subjects as opposed to, like, touching a little bit on it, you know, so something in that region. So coming to New York and pursuing an MBA here uh, after the life that you led in Singapore in the world of fashion comes with a lot of different pivots that you're going through. And uh, as we discussed earlier, going into a brand new career. So I'd love to kind of go back to that beginning of what led to the decision of why New York and why Stern? I think why New York and why Stern are very connected. So when I was thinking about like what MBA programs I wanted to get into, I basically kind of did narrow it down to I want to be in New York as far as possible. And New so York I, best. yes, exactly. Um, I saw I also thought like this might be my one chance to live in New York because I didn't know if I would get a job in New York or anywhere in the U.S., to be honest, um, after the MBA. So I'm like, if I can't be in New York, I want to be in New York. And so (laughs) the New York schools were like definitely on the top of my list. And I'm very happy that Stern accepted me. Um, I think it's a really good fit. 
to be honest. Like, I don't think that I would have had as good of an experience maybe at some other schools. But then again, I will never know. So I think that moving to New York was a huge goal in my life. And I'm very happy to have achieved that, even though when I moved to New York, it was, of course, in the middle of the pandemic and like everything was not normal. It was still nice to kind of experience New York and like be able to be here because I think that made a huge difference in my MBA experience as well. Absolutely. And so especially nowadays, having New York kind of get back to what New York used to be. Um, Looking back now, what was the most Maybe not the word inaccurate, but what was the most shocking thing that you discovered uh, New York is like that was different than what your expectations might have been like? I think it's hard to say because I've visited New York several times um, prior to moving here. So I used to visit uh, my friends who lived um, at the time in Midtown. Now they're my roommates. And I used to visit them about once a year. So I've seen New York like in its sort of heyday prior to the pandemic. And so that kind of set my expectations for like how busy the city is going to be, what the people are kind of like. But I think in general, the biggest thing that I was surprised about, aside from like the pandemic, there is nobody in Times Squareness (laughs) of it all, um, was how freeing really being in New York was like. So I feel like it's hard to articulate what that sensation is until you visit New York. Yeah. It's the kind of feeling where like you could do a crazy dance in the middle of like Times Square or like, you know, at school and like New Yorkers will just treat you like you're just a regular part of the furniture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything crazy is normal in New York or everything crazy is acceptable in New York. And that has like pros and cons Um, because it means a lot of crazy stuff happens here. But I think that the good part is that it feels like you have the liberty to do whatever it is that you want. And sometimes that's a little bit scary. Sometimes it's just nice. The good news is for me, whenever I get dressed, I know someone will look either crazier than me in a better outfit than me, so it really takes the pressure off my outfit. I know, I know, exactly. I've definitely worn things in New York that I would never have worn anywhere else because I'm like, this is not, this is a little bit sketchy. But in New York, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of had things go the opposite way where I felt like I moved here four years ago and it was the first time that I realized of like, nobody cares about you. Like, you are Mm -hmm. just one of very many people. And I think some of that stripping of identity uh, from an external perspective was the freeing part of it, of like, okay, if nobody's going to notice you, what would you do when you're Mm -hmm. actually not going to get anybody's attention? And that was very interesting as, like, an experience to go through. Like, what do I want to do? Like, who do I want to be? Uh, So I definitely had a similar of, like, I felt it was so freeing when you actually, like, connect with the energy here of, like, people are doing whatever they want because they actually realize nobody cares. Exactly. And I think, like, that's definitely an energy that's very unique to New York. I've traveled, I've been lucky enough to travel quite Mm -hmm. a bit. And, like, I think that this feeling exists nowhere else in the world. So with that idea of the difference that New York kind of brings from the behavioral aspect of people... Let's take it back to your fashion background. What do you feel are some of the differences between how Singapore approaches fashion and how New Yorkers <laughs> put their own spin on it? Well, the first thing is that Singapore is a land of eternal summer. So oh. people are always dressed like it's um, super humid, it's super hot. 
Um, although I do joke that Singapore has two seasons, indoors and outdoors, because <laughs> indoors the AC is like uh, blasting all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, like I think Singaporeans, when we leave the house, are one of two kinds of people, and you're either fairly dressed up or like in shorts and flip flops. Because Singapore is a very dressed down country a lot of the times. Part of that is due to the weather, but also like culturally in general, it's not like a huge thing to be super like fashionable dressed up. So it's not one of the fashion capitals in the in, in the world. And I feel like people don't really experiment that much. Of course, they're you know my friends in the media will disagree with me because they experiment a lot, but they're the exception, not the rule. <laughs> so here in New York, I feel like it's a little bit similar, and I in the sense that. It's very freeing. You can wear flip flops and shorts to go out, and nobody will blink at all. And you can wear like five inch stiletto heels and a tiny red dress, and nobody will blink either. And so there's this huge spectrum of like styles, but also people are more experimental. Not as experimental as maybe like London or like Seoul, maybe. But I think that people like dare to try stuff that's a little bit weird or like very weird. And I think that nobody really minds, you know, like nobody really judges you for dressing really strangely, which I think allows people to try different things mm-hmm. in a way that like you can't really in other cities. Yeah, I love the idea of um, self exploration, experimenting through clothes, and I think one through line we have through this whole interview has been exploration and finding more about yourself, what you want to do. We'd love to take it now to like your time at Stern. What, has, have, what have you realized about yourself and what has made you career pivot? Mm-hmm. So I think one thing that I realized about myself, which I already knew, was that I really suck at finance. <laughs> and one of the things that I wanted to do or like that I came to business school thinking I would do is like, shoring up all of my weaknesses. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know how to model. I'm going to learn how to model. Mm-hmm. Still have not learned how to model. <laughs> not um, the runway one. Yeah, not the runway one, but uh, the one in Excel. So, uh, like, yeah. I thought I would end up working really hard to be really good at Excel and accounting and, like, all of these different things that, like, mm-hmm. I'm not good at and also I hate. And so, like, in the past three semesters at Stern, I've realized that it's probably going to benefit me more if I focused on what I'm really good at as opposed to trying to force myself to do things that I'm both bad at and that I hate, um, which is why I focus more on, like, doing tech uh, management, like, soft skills classes in this past semester, which I think has led to me having a much easier Mm -hmm. time, which is nice. Is there any topic that you explored at MPA that you weren't doing before that you actually found yourself being drawn to? For sure. So I, well, I'm going to MasterCard Mm -hmm. uh, after after I graduate, which is the reason why I took Foundations of Fintech last Mm -hmm. semester. And that's a class that I highly recommend to everybody if you can take it, because um, Halliburton and DeRose are like really great professors and they teach Mm -hmm. Foundations of Fintech in a really, really clear and robust way. And that also sparked this interest in fintech. I mean, yes, I'm going to fintech company, but I wasn't necessarily, and I will say this to anybody who who I've spoken to at MasterCard, already interested in payments in fintech. It was that I liked the philosophy of the company of doing well Mm -hmm. by doing good, which is one of the things that like aligns with my work philosophy. But fintech as a subject and as an industry was not something that I was actively interested in before I took this class and and before I um, did my summer at MasterCard. 
And so that's something that I definitely am much more interested in and probably I'm going to do a lot more this next semester and like, of course, in my future career as well. So comparing it to the last time that you made a career decision where you were like, it's fashion, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Are you feeling that same commitment to fintech? Uh, are you feeling like you're abandoning the fashion world? Or do you see that like certain roads will actually lead back to fashion through this exploration? I'm, I think, so to answer the first part of your question, it feels very different to be embarking on this kind of career. Mm-hmm. And it's different because my first career was my dream job when I was younger. And I wouldn't say as much as I love MasterCard that like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I just think it's going to be like a really great experience. And I also love the company. I love the role. But it's not like a dream role that Mm -hmm. I've spent my entire life working towards um, or like several years working towards. So that feeling is different. And I'm also thinking of those roles in a different way. Mm -hmm. My first career, I was like, this is my dream. I'm going to fulfill my dream. Whereas my future career in fintech or tech, I'm thinking is more of enriching Mm -hmm. my life in some way. I'm learning so much more. I'm able to like explore what's new and interesting in the in the world of technology and payments and like that's a very very different feeling. So it doesn't mean that like I like it any less. To be honest, if anything, I see that there's much more growth mm-hmm. in this kind of mindset mm, because absolutely. it's much more exploratory to yeah. to um, what Haley was mentioning earlier about a theme that we've been discussing. And so that's why like those feelings are very different. And then. I'm guessing that it's not impossible for my two careers to merge at some point. After all, like blockchain is a huge subject right now in fintech, but blockchain is also seeing some really interesting applications for the luxury world and like authentication. Absolutely. I'm extremely skeptical about it. (laughs) I will say that now. I'm extremely skeptical because I think people are overselling what blockchain technology can do sometimes when you're authenticating like a unique piece of jewelry or a watch or an art piece because the physical world and the digital world are extremely different and as much Mm -hmm. as you want to put things in the metaverse you're not going to be able to transform that rolex watch into like pixels it's not it's not the same thing maybe so, yeah maybe in 2090 we'll see how far we get yeah if we if we abandon the physical world entirely maybe yeah. yeah so you bring up a great point i mean when people discuss how uh certain worlds integrate with cryptocurrency it's it's very hard for us to see the future in a way where we can see true alignment And I know the conversation I've been hearing a lot is the NFT conversation of authenticating not just physical items, but you also brought up the digital world. And I'm hearing my DJ friends talk about that space. So when you think about the future of like what we're seeing with NFTs and fashion, what do you see it looking like if you don't predict the physical integrating with it? Like how do they come together? I think it's definitely something that's super interesting and like NFTs have, you know, are this huge buzzword now and has been for the last year and and two years. So I think that the most obvious application of NFTs is an authentication for the luxury industry anyway. But there's also this other portion where part of the luxury industry and like luxury goods is 
the ownership and bragging that you own something. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, not something that I necessarily think is a huge part of the value of a luxury good, but it is definitely one part of it, especially for some brands over others. Supreme. Um, <laughs> and so I think there's also this interesting concept or like idea of maybe brands creating their own NFTs that are in the digital space that you can own, but which you, I mean, in my opinion, I think a lot of art and NFTs, mm-hmm. the only value really is in owning it yeah. and like being known as the person who owns it because you can technically take a screenshot or a picture of that digital art piece and like post it somewhere else. You're, own, you're owning like the rights to distribute and like all that, yeah. but there's nothing technically stopping people from pirating your NFT, yeah. your digital NFT anyway. So like you brands could tend to create their own NFTs and like have that be a thing that they do. I think it's really hard to say whether or not that's going to be successful. Maybe the metaverse will mean that this becomes a bigger thing than it is right now. I think like it's still something that I'm not sure if the brand, if like luxury brands will really Maybe be into Maybe our virtual it. outfits yeah. will be No, exactly. NFTs. And I found it's crazy that I'm saying that we all actually believe it's true. <laughs> this is yeah. the reality that yeah. we are in. No, it's because yeah. it's already happening. Yeah, so, absolutely. I hate it, but absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like Louis Vuitton started two or three years ago partnering with League of Legends. Mm-hmm. So they started the partnership when Louis Vuitton like created the trophy and like the case out of like physical leather for like the champion of the League of Legends. I don't play League of Legends, so I don't really know who that is. But then, you know, the partnership has since developed and now I think they're creating like digital clothes for people who play League of Legends. And it sounds ridiculous, but they're paying real money to buy virtual clothes, which is something we never thought would happen, but it has happened. Well, what I find interesting, especially with your background of coming from Singapore, what you said earlier that I found almost like checking my own stereotypes of shocking that Singapore is a little bit less experimental than New York. Because when I think of fashion experimentation, I think of Tokyo. I think of a lot of like Asian cities that when I see when Supreme was blowing up, it was my friends that were going to Tokyo bringing that kind of thinking, that kind of visual identity to the table. And so do you see certain areas? Do you see Asia being more forward-thinking with fintech and fashion, or do you see those steps happening faster in New York? I think it's hard to say because I think people who especially live in the digital world can be anywhere. So fintech, you know, like in general, I think there is a huge hub in Singapore. A lot of the crypto companies are headquartered in Singapore. Singapore is a very small market, which means that testing um, occurs extremely quickly. Uh, Singapore government is also one of the first governments, if not the first, to really roll out cryptocurrency regulation. So that's like a good place for people to kind of test the waters with how receptive governments are going to be to cryptocurrency. El Salvador aside, it's, uh, yeah, I think, there's a lot of potential in fintech. With regards to whether or not fintech and fashion are going to collide in Singapore or like in Asia over other places, probably, I think, because I think that Asia, not just Singapore, but like specifically South Korea and China, are ha- lead much more digital lives than I think people do in the, in the U.S., Everything, it sounds ridiculous to say that, but I like everything really is much more sophisticated technology wise in Asia mm-hmm. with regards to your like everyday life. And in Singapore specifically, I have my entire digital identity on my phone. 
So as a Singaporean citizen, if I ever want to do anything, I have a QR code that allows me to do it. Like my national identity card is now digital. It's on my phone. Wow. So like everything is digital. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in Singapore, but like in many parts of Asia as well. I'm guessing it's slowly going to roll out. And of course, there's like this element of Big Brother. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also a lot of room for development, like in that space for living your life mm-hmm. online, being more efficient with things. And that's something that as a Singaporean, I highly value being efficient. So. How do you feel that that added value to MasterCard and your decision to... Being Singaporean, I'm not sure. I think uh-huh. maybe because Singapore is the headquarters for MasterCard in the Asia-Pacific region. Um, and it is one of the one of the more exciting offices um, from what I've heard because that is where, as I said, a lot of crypto companies are headquartered. It's all, And because Asia is a very special market in the sense that... Not only is a lot of technology being tested in Asia, but also the markets in Asia are very, very different. So you have the extremely highly developed markets like Singapore, South Korea, China, but you also have very underdeveloped markets like Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand to some extent, India, where there are huge populations that you can try stuff out on, but you don't know quite what's going to happen yet. So that's why like, it's a very exciting market, very interesting I don't know if it really played into like me being able to to find this job in MasterCard, but I think that it's definitely interesting, and I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out going home at some point in time just to see how things go. I feel like we're one at such an exciting time, an exciting time in your career, exciting time of seeing what's happening with the virtual world con- uh, colliding with the physical, as we as we've touched on. Wrapping up our interview. We'd love to know more about your advice for MBAs. It's getting cold outside. I wore two jackets here to the studio today. What's your advice for either brands that you recommend for either dressing more business smart or any really great sweaters that you just think you should take home for the holidays? Well, I think you should get this sweater, the one that, that like... The one with the clouds yeah, on it? Yeah, the one with the clouds on it, just because, like, it gives me a lot of joy, and I think it does, you know, bring a lot of people... Every time I see you joy. wear that, I smile, yeah, I too. I remember you wearing that during LIO, too, mm-hmm. as the Nicolette sweater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason I would recommend the sweater is because I, I believe in small, supporting, like, smaller indie brands, um, and this is a, is a very small brand. I think that this technically is made somewhere in Eastern Europe, like hand-knitted by some grandmas or something. So that's really nice. So the brand is Lyrica Matoshi. But in general, in terms of like smart dressing, I'm probably not the best person Mm -hmm. to ask because I spent most of my career and now I don't dress appropriately for the office. (laughs) I dress appropriately for the streets. Yeah, but amazing street, yeah. street smart. And the streets are calling constantly. Yeah. <laughs> I know, too, like a lot of us are students. We're on a budget still. Um, the signing bonus has not hit yet. Are there any affordable brands you'd recommend people check out? Would love to know. I personally am a fan of Everlane, but would love to know what, what else is out there. So I do like Everlane and Madewell. I actually buy, like, a very large part of my wardrobe from Uniqlo as well. Um, Mm -hmm. so I really, really love them. I went on a press trip with them like many years ago and that like really engendered my love for it. But (laughs) in general, they do really, really good basics and Mm -hmm. basics plus, I guess. Affordable brands. I do think that like I, what I mentioned in my introduction was that I use Rent the Runway a lot and it's a service that, that, you know, also exists in Singapore. It's similarly not, it's not called Rent the Runway, it's another ripoff. But I have been using Rent the Runway partially because it's a good way to try fashion 
that you might not necessarily be sure that you want to dive straight into and own. And also, like, it's fairly affordable. You get to try a lot of different stuff. So you did a subscription. Yeah, I do okay. a subscription. So that's why I can swap out, like, four, five. I think I get eight pieces or ten pieces a month, and I just swap them out. And it's been really good as well for me to both scratch my shopping itch and, mm. like, just have a lower footprint in general. Mm. Um, yeah, my wardrobe has also been happier. And apparently it's also run by uh, female founders, mm. which is yeah, nice. Both of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So... Since we all are MBA students and the goal is to hopefully be able to at some point make a decision where we can splurge a little bit, uh, do you have any items or brands that you would recommend for somebody looking to actually bring their authenticity through their appearance? Well, I mean, there are a lot of brands that I like. I don't know if it's going to be like right for, for everybody because I try to like a lot of stuff mm -hmm. um so like i really like christopher esber he's like an australian designer um who's been really interesting i think there's this korean designer called rui uh, oh maybe she's chinese i think she's chinese like she's she does really interesting like cut out knits mm. um that are really nice and i think a lot of korean designers are also really interesting um their names escape me right now i think in general like you just have to keep looking and, and like dig through the internet but that's only like if you really love fashion yeah. and you want to explore but in general like just find pieces that you love and it can be from any brand it doesn't matter like I own a lot of stuff like say from Uniqlo and from very affordable places but in general I try and buy like investment pieces as mm -hmm. far as possible as well. Nicola before we end as someone who's pivoting your career during your MBA do you have any advice for someone who's looking to change directions during their two years at Stern? For sure. I think you should definitely explore things at Stern that you never thought that you would be interested in or that you, you know, that might not be immediately obvious. I know it's really easy when you come into Stern to like dive headfirst into investment banking and consulting. And I would really encourage everybody who wants to do that to really try a little bit of other stuff because you never like you never know when you'll end up finding something that you really like. I started my Stern career like really really tunnel visioning into consulting and then that ended up not working out but now I found a career that I really am excited about so I think that you definitely should try different things mm -hmm. even if you think that they're not like your cup of tea because they might become your cup of tea and yeah that's that's my main yeah sort of my keep exploring yeah I love that yeah. Thank you so much, Nicola, for being here today. I learned so much from you, whether it was your background in Singapore to having NFTs and fashion exist in the same space. I will be signing up for Rent the Runway in the spring for all of our galas for sure. I love the discussion that you brought to the table about like what it means to make changes. And it's a multifaceted process for you. I think it had so many different layers to it, to changing space, to changing your career, but also what unique perspective you end up getting into one particular industry when you come from a different one. I mean, we segued into a conversation about NFTs and fashion because we're looking at how the two worlds that you come from collide and it seems that not only will they collide that they are proactively right now looking for a way to coexist in a beneficial way so you've made me more excited about the topics together than i realized i was uh, yeah. before so i really appreciate that and i 
wish you the best of luck as you embark on this new adventure because I'm sure you're going to crush it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. And like, this was a super interesting conversation. I'm sure we can, you know, take it offline as well. <laughs> it was really fun to talk to both of you and, and thanks. I loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you.